Welcome to another episode of Watch the Game, presented by the Nation Network. I'm your host, Sam Blazer, and I'm joined by a different co-host this week, Jeff Vayette. Jeff, how you doing today, buddy? Uh, I'm alive. That's uh, that, that's the main thing. Uh, sleepless nights, but they're uh, but it's fun. There's hockey to talk about, and I think that's what matters most. I was just about to say, it's hockey season. You know, you can't be too upset right now. Uh, now, we're going to be talking to Greg Brady um, a little bit later on, talk about everything in the league. So, you know, get ready for that. But uh, most notably, something that I want to talk about, obviously, as a Blue Jackets fan, and, you know, I want to be able to rant a little bit, was what happened yesterday against the Capitals. Uh, a lot of people were getting on Nick Felino for his uh, head fake that he had on Nicholas Backstrom that led to the uh, game-winning goal there. Um, I, what are your feelings overall on players, you know, who not necessarily embellish, you know, that se- that sell it. I, I there's something I, I at least draw a line between the two. When you know, when someone like Joseph Landisi last year for the Devils acted like he got shot and fell, and when someone you know takes a a, a stick and like pulls it into their hip to make it look like more like a hooking. Where are you on that that front, Jeff? It's it's a complicated thing, isn't it? Because you obviously want your team to win. And if you have a solid enough reputation that the ability to embellish or sell is going to draw you more penalties than it's going to get you, then it's hard to blame you. Like, yeah, it's a little it's a little sketchy, but so are most hits or a lot of borderline plays that a lot of players make. It's just a different way of of approaching towing the line. Um and it's all about managing it too. Like I look at Toronto's guy for that is Nazem Kadri. Um, love Nazem Kadri. It's also pretty clear that he's a bit of a diver, um, and that's fine. That's that that helps his team win. It gets some power plays. But because he's done it so often now this year, he's having trouble getting those calls. A lot of the times, it's either it's being evened up or the referees put away their whistle, and that advantage goes away. So it's about picking your spots. Uh, but I don't, I don't have any issues of players doing it. You, ideally, you want to be in a situation where the refs are perfect and they know what's happening. But as long as that's not there and it never truly will be there, you have to try to get the advantages for your team as, as you see them. I don't know if it's whether I have a weak moral compass or what's going on with that. But I, overall, I think if you get away with it and in the moment it's that the refs call it and you somehow sell it, I really, really don't have a problem with it. Obviously, like you said, if you you know keep doing it over and over again, and people start noticing it, you're not going to get those calls like you used to. But I think you know every once in a while, if you do that and you're able to game the referees, then hell, I try to do it as much as you can. But obviously, you know, not overdo it because then you're going to get the attention of you know other people around the league. I, it's tough, of course if you're a Capitals fan and you see that happen, because when it happens against you, it, you know, it might as well be the worst thing in the world. <laughs> and I think if you, uh, you know, you're the home team, then of course you have my position and you, you think that, you know, they need to get over it. This is something that's dumb. And I don't think unless they, you know, they have some sort of, you know, robotic system, much like how people are talking about having a strike zone move to something more, uh, you know, robotic in the MLB, I don't think unless that happens in the NHL that, you know, embellishment and things like this are necessarily going to go away, don't you think? Yeah, no, exactly. And it's it's next to impossible to have um, a robotic way of doing it. Like the strike zone's one thing. It's a square. Um, it's it's something you can easily work with. But, but like sticks are fluid. Body limbs are fluid. There's not really much you can do to be able to make it so a robot can identify what a trip is, what a slash is, what's too much of a dive, what isn't. Uh, So we're always going to have humans. There's always going to be the human element. Your eyes can only see so much and you can only be so far away. And as long as a power play matters, and a power play always matters, you're 70% more likely to score a goal. You're like 200% more likely to get a scoring chance. Uh, As long as that's there. Um, teams are going to try to find ways to get those advantages and with, with no way to really curb, um, to, to, to curb false flag penalties, so to speak, you're, you're going to try to get them when you can there. It's, it's as simple as that. You're trying to win the game. You see, see a way to win the game and you're going to, and you're going to take that chance. 
I think that's why it's important that uh, people watch the game, right? The title exactly. of this podcast. Wow. What what a segue. I, see, this is why they pay me the big bucks, Jeff. This is well done, well done. <laughs> but uh, with all that being said, we'll transition over to our interview with uh, Greg Brady, and uh, we'll be right back. And we are back with our conversation with Greg Brady. He's worked in the OHL for seven years, uh, broadcast, broadcaster extraordinaire, current writer for Leafs Nation and Wings Nation. Uh, Greg, how are you doing today? How are you yeah, doing today? Great to, great to be on. It, it's uh, right before U.S. Thanksgiving. I like that time of year. I know you're U.S. Uh, U.S. based, and there's always it always feels like something happens right before Thanksgiving or just after with like a coach firing. Not that I want that to happen, um, but there's there, I just feel like we're on the verge of a big NHL story, maybe even an AHL four player trade. Something like that, just to just to sweep us off our feet. Something's big. Some big's coming. So I'm glad to be on. See, being in Columbus, everyone thought that the firing was going to end up being John Tortorella, but you know, <laughs> they they were mistaken. But that kind of switching on the that uh, that topic, which team in particular has surprised you the most? What what, are the, what is, has it the, like the particular team done for you to make them surprise you particularly? Well, I, I think a lot of teams are making um, a lot of teams are making us look smarter than we might be right now because I think there has been a lot of predictability. Montreal was was going to get Carey Price back healthy, uh, and there just hasn't been any drop off from how they started last year with him or how they played the whole year before that. Uh, we know Tampa's good. We know Washington's good. Pittsburgh has started better than they did at this point last year. The one team that that kind of leaps off the page. I'm a little surprised that the Islanders. I think a lot of people had us had them as a borderline bubble playoff team, but that they took a step forward. And it's sort of like with players. We always think, well, well, that young player who's 22 scored 15, and then he scored 23. So naturally, next year he's going to get 35. And it never, it almost never translates that way. But the team I'd look at and I'd say. I'm not quite sure how they're doing it. They're good, but I don't. We didn't smell greatness. This is probably the New York Rangers guys, just just because their blue line has been, you know, much derided. It's uh, it, it's an expensive blue line. It's it's not as deep as it was a couple of years ago. Um, but the depth of scoring they uh, they have put together, and I know you know Mika Zibanejad. What a that's a costly loss for them um, with the broken fibula. I was shocked that. They let him hobble off the ice instead of using a stretcher last night. I'm not sure that's. Um, I'm not sure an EMT in the Greater Toronto Area would advise that uh, that you break your fibula and then you hobble to safety at that point in time. But I think that the Rangers they've spread their goal scoring out. Um, Vesey hasn't disappointed. Uh, JT Miller is scoring. Zuccarello scoring. Um, I'm really surprised by where they're at, and we all know with their goaltender that they just need to get there. They just need to to be in a decent spot come April get a decent first round matchup. Remember, they lost to the to the eventual Stanley Cup champions. They were in the Stanley Cup final the year prior. So it just it felt like they were they were taking uh, steps back to some extent 2 years ago I should say. And they look really good through 19 games and I know not lately, not didn't have a good weekend, but I thought they'd be I thought they'd really struggle to maybe make the playoffs out of the East and they've been really really good. I was in the same boat as you. I thought that they were one of those teams that might be on the bubble, but the way that they've generated shots, like really, really close in and use the scoring depth that they have to take advantage of opportunities uh, where, where teams just can't match up against them. It's been uh, it's been impressive. But uh, you mentioned Zabinajad's injury, and if you haven't seen it yet, it's uh, it was Ugh. definitely one of the scarier ones I've seen. Like I legit Brutal. yelped the first time I saw the, uh, the replay. But there's been a lot of those uh, in the league in the past uh, – past couple of weeks there's been some bigger names that have uh, that have dropped out due to injury uh which do you think has probably been the most devastating one uh for a particular team I'm trying to think of one that yeah there isn't nothing um there's nothing to me right now that leaps off the page with uh with man games missed i know when i look at whole clubs i think you know i i guess i'd look at at anaheim and i wonder not just because you know they had um they had the defenseman out of the lineup for uh, a, as long as they did in terms of signing him but i look at anaheim and i say that's a team bruce boudreau c- comes in off of last year there was going to be pressure to to get results and i i don't know that we know brian getzloff's missed a few games obviously lindholm being out as i mentioned um there's there's a few guys you want you want to see that team play and I'm not sure BX has been I know he's played but I and I also know he's 35 but he either has lost a step dramatically which which does happen when you're a, a 
a 35-year-old uh, defenseman and, and you've been used to you know moving the puck, carrying the puck, absorbing a lot of hits. Um, Raquel has been out of the lineup as well for Anaheim. So none of those are major ones. The, those are sort of you know, a guy here and a guy there. I think the team we look at, uh, Jeff, and and I know because I write about it and, and you touch on it too, um, the team that couldn't afford to lose anybody this year is Detroit. And they have. And that's been, they needed literally all hands on deck to me to make any kind of convincing playoff run. Um, and and losing Vanek when they lost him, uh, he was scoring early on. It might have been a bit of a fortunate puck luck, but he, you know, there's just too much of a track record. He, he has looked. He looked early on better than the player he looked to be in Minnesota when he signed that long-term deal. And I know they just got him back last night, and he could contribute. But you're going to have Henrik Zetterberg injuries at some point in time. That is that is just a given. So losing him, knowing Nick Cronwall will never ever be the same hockey player again. I mean, he doesn't just look not like a top four player. He looks done as an NHLer, and there's a few years left on his deal. And then Andreas Athanasiu. Losing him um, is is real bad because we know there's been a, a a big drumbeat among Red Wing fans to to play him more, utilize him in better scenarios. Because like the goal Mantha scored last night, uh, Athanasiu and and Mantha, there are not too many guys on Detroit that finish like those two young players, and there's not too many players like them on the roster that are under age 23. There just aren't because of where they've drafted and some of the long term mistakes Detroit's made. So. Those injuries have been really, really critical to Detroit getting off to a bad start. And I, I mentioned on Twitter last night, they're now one win out of the last 11 games in regulation. They beat Philly in a shootout, and that win was against Vancouver, maybe the worst team in the league, quite possibly the worst te- team in the league at the end of an entire six-game road swing out east, all playing out of their time zone. So uh, not good for Detroit, but I also do want to see Anaheim uh, when they are absolutely fully healthy. I know they're a first-place team right now. LA's obviously had some injuries too. Both California teams have been kind of bit by the injury bug a little bit. And you know the Wings. I know this sounds terrible, but you'd really, really hope that the injuries would take place to someone other than their young players. The Steve Otts and the Drew Millers obviously are still playing on the team, and it's just a uh, you know it's a, like a death by a thousand cuts mm-hmm. uh, type situation with them. Is that you know they can take you can take away Vanek and they'll be okay, but there's just been so many things taking them down, and I think that replacing uh, some of those players with the younger players is really what is going to, like, I thought that it actually might level out and they might actually improve over that time. But it's it's tough to say, especially with where they're at right now. Well, and, and look at Buffalo. It's tough for them, too. There was promise that maybe, you know, maybe not a playoff team in the Sabres, but, like, the expectations might have been for Edmonton, maybe in Hall's third year or, or Nugent Hopkins' second year, that there'd be a leap up and you're playing, you know, how we say it in baseball, meaningful games in March and April um, for the Sabres. It's been a long time since that happened, but look what happens. I mean, you know, Jack Eichel hasn't even started his regular season yet. Um, Ryan O'Reilly has, has been injured. So they, Tyler Ennis has been banged up and missed some games. So there's always Zach Bergogian too. There's always something in Buffalo. It just feels like they feel, they feel a little bit cursed. It's a little bit like when they got Robin Leonard last year in Eichel's rookie year, and he gets injured in the first game. Now I'm not. I've never been a huge Robin Leonard fan, and I thought the Sabers really missed an opportunity to sign Cam Talbot or make it make a smart trade at that time for Jimmy Howard. I'm not the biggest Jimmy Howard uh, fan, and I don't know how far he can take you. But I would have taken him before um, signing Robin Leonard to, or rather than trading for Robin Leonard for a big. Uh, um, a big price going back. So Buffalo's and Evander Kane, there you are also. They're not sure they want him, period, right now, but they need him, and they need him healthy and productive if Buffalo's going anywhere. they That, that was a big trade almost two years ago to get Bogosian and Kane and, and give up on Myers and Stafford, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, you know what they really could have used? Uh, they could have used Mike Babcock as their coach, right? Or at least if you talk to anybody in the Buffalo market, that's uh, that's exactly what they needed. Or if uh, in that case, uh, if you talk to some of the other people, they'll say, you know, they don't need him whatsoever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, that entire scenario is a, an entire, entirely different thing. And I feel like if we get Jeff uh, on a rant about that, we'd feel about like what? It, 20, it would take a lot minutes. of time. But, uh, you know, Dan Bilesma is a good um, – that's a guy also. So, And trust me, this happens in our business. You kind of – you know, you sit and, and watch the landscape sometimes and you say – 
you know, you, you can, Dan Bilesma could really afford to be picky. He built a resume winning a cup in Pittsburgh and, and was able to, I don't see him as a retread or, uh, or a recycle right there. I think Buffalo, I'm, I think Buffalo Bills fans should be hoping Bilesma coaches both teams um, by, uh, by, you know, the end of the uh, NFL season. I think he can handle it to be perfectly honest. Now, a lot of the scoring at the beginning of this year was just out of this world, just completely bonkers. It, it's obviously regressed at this point, and everyone has their idea to make the league a little bit more exciting. If you were commissioner for the day, what would you do to increase that scoring? I have uh, I've attempted this before, and I, I really I know how old school and, and dinosaur-esque uh, these, these presidents and GMs are um, in the NHL. I am officially, and have been for several years, I am a bigger Nets guy. I am absolutely a exp- – the, the bodies are bigger. The rinks are the same size. There just isn't enough room with the goalies being bigger and the equipment there is to shoot at. I mean – we all we saw it last week with the Hall of Fame inductions. It is comical to see some of the goals that Eric Lindros was scoring in 1992. And and if you go back further, the, the Daryl Sittler 10 point nights an unbelievable example. There are probably 13 and 14 year old goalies now that watch that footage and without without you know being too braggadocious look and say. I just stopped three or four of those Sittler goals. They really believe that because of the equipment and the impenetrability of, of goaltenders now. So um, I, I would slightly, I, I would like everything that hits the post right now to be a goal. Even if you expand, you don't even have to expand up, but you could take, take the height of the net up by the, um, by the depth of the crossbar, take the posts to the side, the depths of the post. And, Everything that goes off the post right now goes in. You really wouldn't increase scoring that much. I know sometimes it feels like when your team loses a game, especially a low-scoring game, 3-2 or 2-1, and you say, well, we hit five posts tonight. You might have hit the side of the net. You might have hit the very edge of the post. But I want to see a little more of that. I want more for the shooters to shoot at. I grew up I'm a bit older than you guys, not too old. Um, but I grew up <laughs> with you, with, with like Rick Vive on a Saturday night. Ask him. How when he had back-to-back 50-plus goal seasons, just ask him how many goals he could score, cutting over the blue line, having an angle, and firing a slapper past the goalie. Now we probably don't want as many, and we would never have again as many goals from that area. But I want some from that area. I I want I want I don't want scoring chances to go up. Um, I want goals to go up. I think people. I think a five-four game is perfect. Goalies won't like it. They won't like it at all, and you're not going to see 940 save percentages like Devin Dubnik has right now, and you're not going to see you know, 186 goals against like Carey Price can probably put up the next five or six years. But I do think you're sending folks home with, uh, with the concept, and I'm a big three points for a win, one for a draw guy. I know Jeff's a big European soccer fan. That encourages attacking in the third period. There is nothing worse than watching a team on the road in a game when, where they probably know they're not the better squad just shut it down with about four minutes to go in a tie game, knowing they can get to three-on-three, three, knowing they can get to the shootout. And that's all fine and good. I have no problem with settling it with three-on-three. With three. Most people have liked that innovation. But let's just see, especially late in the season when you know points are at, are at a premium. I know they count the same in October, November. But let's just see, when you need to make the playoffs, when you need to put a run together of wins, you'd be amazed at the kind of hockey we might see in tie games with five minutes to go. Some teams would go ultra-protective. Some teams would be ultra-on-the-attack, and I think it'd be a lot of fun. It's funny that you bring up soccer, because one, I completely agree with the three-point uh, three idea, but at the same time, I've also come to appreciate the lower-scoring game, scoring games uh, a little bit more as I've gotten more interested into that sport. And the way that the league has gone in the NHL with there's been more shots, there's been more scoring chances, and it's made it so uh, every single goal matters a bit more. I'm not sure if I'm fully in on uh, on rushing ourselves to increase scoring, but one way we can increase scoring is if we uh, if we took Patrick Line and cloned him a bit based on the way he started his year. Uh, these rookies this year, we've had a we've had a spectacular class. Most of the time, we're talking Line, we're talking Austin Matthews. Do you think those guys are the cream of the crop, or are there others in the league that you've been impressed with so far? It's really, yeah, it's really early days. Those seem to be the obvious two, and I know there's often criticism of, of the NHL for um, either focusing on older individual rivalries, like tonight it's Ovechkin versus Crosby, and they may not even be on the ice for more than nine minutes together. I, I just don't think you can do that where you can with, say, quarterbacks in the NFL, or tonight it's LeBron James against Steph Curry, even though they don't play the same position. 
but I do think that I do think there's something there. I think it does catch people. And Matthews and and uh, and and Laney may end up uh, having one of those one of those things transpire. We don't talk about it as much with Ovechkin and Malkin, even though they're the same draft class, just because Crosby's on the same team as Malkin, and it just sounds better. Uh, and we and we're pitting country versus country, and we've got the you know the quarterfinals from the Vancouver Olympics. Everyone remembers how hyped that game was. I remember having people over to watch it, and by the time the the last person got there, it was already four nothing Canada in the first period. So yeah, it, it's I, I like the idea of of pitting some individual players against each other. I, I'm sure there's going to be promise just because of the bloodline with Nylander in Buffalo. I saw him play a few times with Mississauga, pretty impressed, and and we didn't have that same comparison point. William Nylander, just because he didn't play um, OHL hockey over here. Um, so, and everyone, everyone will obviously look at uh, at Dubois, and they're still, I'm sure, they're in Columbus. There's still this. What did they do that for? That was one of the most obvious reaches in the in the top five that uh, that I can think of in the last several years. Where you go, that's a little bit off the charts. There usually is in, in the NFL or NBA. There's, there's always a top ten pick where that transpires, and the fact they sent him back probably the smart thing to do to Cape Breton um, makes people maybe even more skeptical. But it's it's tricky, isn't it? You, I think we're just getting now. I'm a big believer that you can probably look back at a draft and see how deep it is probably by about that fourth year. I even think last year, like like say the Morgan Riley draft year, I even think last year's too early. Even though you know, you look and, and what we, what have we been able to say um, about the, the, the 2012 draft? Well, we're not quite sure what Yakupov is. We really aren't. And especially now in St. Louis, now that he's getting a, a healthy scratch occasionally. But what we do know now is the, the depth of, of defense, even a year from where we might have analyzed it last year, maybe even better than we thought and we thought it was pretty good a year ago with Riley and Lindholm and Dumba and Pouliot and you can go down Cody Stacey's a serviceable pro and has and has plenty of games Oli Matto obviously near the bottom of that draft it was it's a little like that oh, oh um that 08 draft where how sneaky good Eric Carlson became after a few years and and how sort of Tyler Myers had kind of well almost a regression after his rookie season um in Buffalo so I look now and I see that 12 draft and uh, and and now I think we think I hope we think Alex Galchenyuk is way way better uh, than we even thought he was. He's off to a great start this year. So even from 12 months ago. So yeah, the the 16 draft is kind of it looks deep, deeper than the year before. Certainly deeper than than the year coming up. Um, but it's a tough one to analyze so far. And and Jeff would know the the consternation about Matthew scoring has has not scoring since uh, since the opener's gotten a little bit. A little bit silly, a little bit ridiculous, because you know you're, you're just not going to be able to teach what he is and what he can do over time. And many a player slumps. I remember shouting many uh, many radio callers down when Phil Kessel would start a year with no goals in the first eight games and say, you know what, he's going to play every game and he's going to get his 25 or 30. But they would scream and want 45 to to 50, and and it just was never going to transpire. But I digress. Phil Kessel's another issue entirely, isn't he? Exactly. Oh, obviously. Uh, now, I was hoping, Greg, on your end, that you'd bring up Zach Wierenski because I could talk about him mm. for about 20, 30 minutes. I, I could just go on and on and on. And uh, I, to me, he's one of the people in this rookie class that has surprised me because down in Columbus, we knew he was going to be good. We knew that he was going to be on you know, the second or third pairing, but he's on the first pairing. He's been playing with Seth Jones. He's been out of this world, and it's insane that he's only 19 years old. And that he's being been able to do been able to do that, but you know, you talked about the Leafs, uh, we talked about the Wings a little bit, and you've been a radio voice in a couple of the major uh, NHL markets for a long while. How, how would you describe their play this far? What, what exactly should fans be you know expecting, and are they reacting the proper way right now, uh, given the, the the path ahead? Yeah, I think there's um, with Detroit. Let's I'll start with Detroit because I'll go for longer on on Toronto, and that may make um, you know uh, that may make some people happier. But Detroit is they. I think the benefit for Toronto and Buffalo a couple of years earlier before Toronto in spotting when when there's a teardown time. Like there's windows for championships, but for me, there's also windows to just to just take your foot off. To just take your foot off the gas a little bit, um, I, I definitely believe Buffalo. Buffalo might have been a year late on that when they were still making acquisitions, and and maybe they waited too long. But it's tough, isn't it? But Buffalo was 
Uh, Buffalo had Thomas Vanek injured, I want to say, in 2011, um, and he was injured the, uh, for a series against Philadelphia, and they had a chance Easter Sunday to knock the Flyers out. I want to say it was 2010, uh, the, the year the Flyers went to the final against Chicago, and they lost that game, and then they, lo- they lost in overtime with a goal away from knocking out the team that eventually just blew through the rest of the Eastern Conference. So you never want to you never want to abandon what you think is a window of of competitive co- competitiveness and and buffalo really out of the lockout they were built for the playoffs they had guys um that sort of dr- those sort of drury briere brian campbell teams were really built well with ryan miller and net for for the postseason and they're getting back there now detroit has it's tough detroit has waited far too long to make um to make movement on their roster and there's been far too much I mean, you want to call it nepotism, but none of these players are are biologically related to Ken Holland. But there's it's just, just there is no rhyme nor reason to some of the the deals that have been that have been given out. Um, you know, Detroit fans would would reference it as the as the sort of Daniel Cleary effect. The fact there was a second go round, um, a third go round really for Cleary, a second go round for Todd Bertuzzi, a second go round for Michael Samuelson. When these players were absolutely positively finished, and and look, the, every GM has. Uh, missteps. We can praise the likes of uh, you know Steve Eiserman or, or George McPhee. Those years, the Capitals were, were putting up 105 points every year and just falling short in the, in the playoffs. But there's always a mistake, right? There's always a, a seven-year deal for Alex Semin that somebody gives uh, an Alex Semin type, and Detroit did that with. Um, but but they they felt like they were you know with Stephen Weiss a couple years ago and mistakes on Jordan Tutu, Carlo Koliakovo, um, on and on. I don't. I think the only solution now for Detroit is is to go absolutely young and and here's the problem they are in a salary cap hell and they need to to give Athanasiu uh, a second contract give Thomas Tatar who's been all over the net this year and I, I'm shocked he's only got the three goals in 19 games um, they need to give these players their money they'll have to pay Dylan Larkin uh, after next season and these aren't going to be an expensive uh, transaction so when you're signing and I like this player and I don't know why he's gotten off to a bad start when you're signing Danny to Kaiser's to the five-year contracts that are, uh, that's that struck me right away as a Mike Commissarek Leafs contract where you, you just don't need or Jeff Finger contract you just don't need to go that deep and that expensive for for Danny to Kaiser. So uh, the chickens are going to come home to roost in in Detroit. There's no question. And and the the issue then is what do you do with the guys that you happen to like that are in their mid twenties um, with, with Gustav Nyquist, what do you do with a player like that? He's, he may not see the playoffs for the next half decade. So is it worth not seeing what you can get for him right now? It, it could be that dire in Detroit over the next little bit. Um, as for Toronto, I, I, you know, I, I constantly would shout at people um, with a microphone or not with a microphone who would say, well, you know, it's Toronto and the, and the Maple Leafs will never accept a, uh, you know, fans won't ever accept a rebuild. We're here now. We've been here two and a half years. They've accepted um, the kind of hockey that they've had, they've had. Now, the demand for tickets hasn't been as considerable. Um, you know, try re- try reselling a pair of tickets to a to a Tuesday night game against Carolina that you paid face value for. So maybe in that con- context, the fans haven't embraced it from a, from an economic perspective. Maybe merchandise until this year with with Matthews up and Marner up and, and Nylander getting his first full season. Maybe the, the sweaters of, uh, you know, Bozak and, and Kadri and Komarov weren't flying off the shelves, no matter what those players' contributions were. But they've done this, to me, they've done this the right way. And there's a misstep here and there. I know Jeff wrote about Matt Martin on the weekend. I I remember Jake Gardner getting that big contract a couple years ago. I know he's only got a couple years left. And I kind of, I kind of even thought that was a little that was a little thick at the time uh, to be to be making Jake Gardner a four million player when when they still were they were they were healthy scratching him um, in the Randy Carlisle era. Um, so I, I look the Leafs have done a lot of the right things. We still don't know, and we still don't know where it can go over the next little bit. The best laid plans can often go to waste, but there aren't there aren't too many teams that don't look enviously. When I talk to hockey people from other markets that just that reference the three guys I did, Mitchell, Mar, or, uh, excuse me, Marner, um, Matthews, and Nylander, and say, we have nothing like that. We don't have one player like that under 22, let alone three. It's pretty significant. The, uh, yeah, the, the degree to how they've built up their forward prospect pool, it's like nothing we've seen from anybody in a very, very, very long time. Uh, but you talked about... Uh, when to the window that you need to have to start up a rebuild to start building up assets. Now you have the Las Vegas teams coming in tomorrow, announcing their team name. Mm-hmm. You're 
they're they're working towards getting themselves ready for the upcoming year and they have no choice they have to build a team they're they're starting from zero uh do you have any predictions on how do you how that's going to play out over the next few months or in those first couple of years for them Tough to say. The rules are, I mean, the rules seem a little bit more geared towards getting Las Vegas competitive. And I always feel like you're better in coming in, you're better coming in, obviously, as one team with a pool to pick uh, than two at different times. Because we've seen that before. Tampa Bay and Ottawa came in at the exact same time in, I want to say, 92, 93. And Tampa just seemed, Tampa seemed more willing to build younger um, and and hope, you know, hope that that it comes along. And they were in the playoffs and and sort of a, a tougher out earlier on than um, than Ottawa was. It took the Senators a long time to realize you're not going to win very few games with an average team age of <laughs> 34 years old. Uh, it, and, and not in 1992 when the goals were coming fast and furious and teams were playing 84 games back then. That's a hard year to remember with the, those uh, neutral site games. But when Ottawa came in, they were doing that. Um, it's it's it just depends what Las Vegas. It depends how patient you want to be it's it's to me it's like building anything you could put a, a tv pilot together for a network but if you don't think that that uh, that they're going to give you the time and space to do it and you got to get instantaneous results guess what you're going to go you, you know your, your budget's going to be higher you're going to get established people um you know i'm i'm going off track pop culture wise but friends began as a show that many critics gave like about a one fourth chance to even make it they're like so it's courtney cox and five other people what what's the yeah i don't get it what's the why am i watching is how is it different than seinfeld and then it turns into one of the biggest sitcoms of all time the vegas team the vegas team is going to have to you know to, the, there's pressure on them i think to get results because it's such an it's such an unknown marketplace. We don't know. We we still don't have a sense. And I, I think it's worth the gamble. And I actually applaud. I don't applaud the NHL for for everything at all. But I think it's it's worth getting in there first before the NFL do with uh, with the potential Oakland Raiders move in, in a few years. Getting there before the NBA uh, is really smart business to kind of establish a foothold. But but you know at at some point, and we we see this a little bit, just a little bit in even in. Hockey crazy, Winnipeg, Manitoba, right? Uh, we, we, you got to get results sooner or later. The honeymoon ends at a certain point, and it's just not okay for for Kevin Chevaldeoff to do nothing at another trade deadline, or or you know for um, who was the coach Claude Ruel to to give a quip to you know his quips to the media got tired after two and a half years, and they needed to get results. I I always look at Atlanta, and I know a lot of people look at Atlanta, Georgia, and say. What a bad sports city. I've been there covering NBA, and they're right. It's not a great sports city. The The Braves making the playoffs for almost 16, 17 straight years. Eventually, some indifference rolled in, uh, and, and you could easily go and get a playoff ticket at the box office uh, for an NL, NLCS game or an NLDS game. But the one thing I always say is, and I'd say it here in Toronto about the Raptors. I came here in 2007 from, from Detroit, and people said, well, this isn't a good basketball town. I'm like, how do you know? How do you know? Because the games aren't meaningful. So if you don't give people in Vegas games that they can work with or a rivalry that can work with, look what they did in Denver, guys. I mean, look right away. You, you take an established team with the Quebec Nordiques. Patrick Waugh, two months into the season, falls into your lap because of uh, of of how it goes with him and Ronald Corey and Mario Tremblay on that Saturday night when the, when the Wings pump nine past him. You got to get some breaks. You got to have some, you know, some some luck, some circumstance. We'll see where it goes with Vegas. I I think there's a honeymoon period, but they won't, and and, and it, it may fall in between where Winnipeg and Atlanta is. But for Atlanta, never to have won a single playoff game, and people say, ah, they don't like hockey down there. I'll tell you what, if the Ottawa Senators had gone ten straight years and not won a single playoff game, that team's not even there right now. It isn't. No chance. So you got to get results sooner or later. I think they also have a bit of an advantage going in uh, just from the fact, and it sounds backwards, the fact that they don't have to hit the cap floor in the first year. That yeah. means when they go into the expansion draft, they don't have to go pick up bad contracts. They can go after the guys who look like they're sneaky good. They can they can go after some of the fancy stat darlings, some of the guys who are coming on off like this, the second last year of their deal. They can find ways to be competitive really fast. And also having those, uh, those first couple first-round picks be, I think, 
top five, top six or something like that, regardless of their position, they there's going to be good opportunity for that team to be really good really soon. Jeff, it'll be one of the great nights of your life when when Las Vegas forward Tyler Bozak comes back to the ACC for the first time <laughs> and they and they play the tribute video and you see the winter classic goal, the shootout goal against Jimmy Howard. You, you you're dying for a moment like that next fall. I know that. That would that would be some fun stuff. I remember that goal. I was uh, I was in the press box at the big house, and this is when I had my kind of uh, skepticism towards Bozy, and everyone on Twitter knew it. And I legitimately got like 110 replies uh, in the span of about 30 40 seconds. My my laptop just kind of exploded. It was great. When the tribute video is up there, it's like your tweets are going to scroll across the board, and it's going to say third line center could be better carried by Kessel. <laughs> But he, but he wasn't Christian Hansen or uh, um, oh who was the other guy they brought in Bur- Burke brought in a guy for one game um, and Braden uh, Irwin yeah Braden Irwin and uh, uh, Burke loved that whole this is like getting an extra first round pick um, really okay I'm not, if you took Christian Hansen or Braden Irwin in the first round you'd be fired eventually as he was so you know now earlier on we asked you about the team that surprised you the most but is there a storyline for this year? that you've been paying attention to or it's something that you know fans in general need to keep an eye out for? Well, I guess it's just, to me, um, and maybe it's a selfish storyline, it's, it's the rebound of, of the Canadian teams in general. Um, I'm really fascinated to see, you know, working at, at Sportsnet for uh, as long as I did, um, I couldn't help, and, and even, you know, this, this April not being with Sportsnet, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm quoting Bill Clinton, I felt their pain. I felt their pain with you know, playoff matchups in the first round um, that were not necessary, that had no Canadian teams and weren't necessarily uh, sexy. And then I believe um, so many original six teams, the Blackhawks are out in the first round, right? They almost came back and beat the Blues, but they're gone. The Red Wings go out meekly in the first round of Tampa Bay. The Rangers go out in the first round. You're like, okay, so we've got all seven Canadian teams out of the playoffs. Now some of the teams we know people like to watch. And I've always looked at, Sam, you might be able to respond to this. I've always looked at NBC's schedule. When I looked at the States, it's like, Hey, there's an, if someone said, hey, there's an NBC game on um, before the Super Bowl, uh, Sunday at 1230, I'm like, is it Caps-Penguins? Yes, how did you know? Like, <laughs> they they did nothing. The NBC, and maybe they know better. Um, I always, you know, it's, it's, it's always easy. It's like somebody with a, you know, without a sports talk show telling you who has a sports talk show what you should be doing, and you just feel like, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't come to your place, and I, I don't come to your restaurant and tell you how to, you know, how to cook the steak. You feel like there's some there's some level of experience with TV executives where you go, well, why aren't you why aren't you ever putting the Tampa Bay Lightning on? Why wouldn't people want to see Steven Stamkos play on a Sunday afternoon or Drew Doughty in the Kings? I mean, is it, is it the start time? I just I never got that. Why? Oh, my heavens. It's Washington, Pittsburgh. It's Chicago, Detroit. It's Detroit. Um, it's it's Detroit and Pittsburgh. It's it, they put the same seven teams on NBC. So I'm kind of fascinated, obviously, living here. To see where it goes, because though Montreal has started off great guns and there are people, um, you know, um, good friends and and, uh, former colleagues, maybe future colleagues who would give give their arm for a Montreal Toronto playoff series. I wrote about that on on the Leafs Nation, how that's what it needs. That's the the rivalry's fun. Saturday Saturday night, it's a fun game to watch and, and stuff happens, but it needs a seven game series. And we almost got a Stanley Cup final in 1993. When I was a, when I was a college student at Western, we almost got a Montreal Toronto first round in 2013 in the short season. We need that so badly, and so the Leafs being bubble playoff team um, is really intriguing to me because let's look out west. I uh, I don't see no one sees the Canucks, nor should they. Um, the Flames seem to have this; they they seem to be an absolute flash in the pan after beating the Canucks in the playoffs two years ago. So that leaves that really leaves Edmonton, and I don't think Ottawa's making the playoffs. I just don't. Um, I was not, you know, t- swept away by their hot start. So yeah, Sam, I, I look and say, is it just going to be Montreal carrying the flag again, or does Edmonton get in? Does Edmonton do enough? There's enough skeptics of of how they handle things on uh, on Twitter and and online to think if they're making it. Um, I know they they finally broke their losing streak uh, Saturday, but if they make it. 
they're just getting in and then it's a smack in the face right away because it's Anaheim or it's L.A. or it's San Jose, really well-built San Jose team. I know they've struggled the last uh, week or so. But I love I love the Sharks team, and, and I was surprised they actually didn't give Pittsburgh uh, a whacking last year in the Stanley Cup final. I really thought San Jose was going to win the Cup um, pretty early on in the playoffs. So, yeah, it's probably that Canadian team angle when, when you sit here and go, well, not all seven are going to miss again, quite obviously, but my gosh, could only one make it again? It, it seems implausible, but stranger things have happened. Edmonton would be a really interesting one. Just kind of thinking back to Pittsburgh that first year that they made it in uh, where Sid was in his second season and Gino was in his rookie year and mm-hmm. they, and they got whipped pretty quickly by, by the, uh, I think it was the senators and Ottawa five swept them. Yeah. Yeah. Or what uh, they, was it five games? Yeah. It okay. may, have, it may have been five. Um, but I think we're going to see something similar to that too. Like as, as much as I'm very much on team Connor's the best, I don't know if one man's going to be able to take that entire show uh, for very long come playoff time. And look at John, it takes time. And look at John Tavares, right? He's won what, you know, finally what's he in his seventh season last year, eighth season and gets through the first round of the playoffs and barely at that against the Florida Panthers. Um, yeah, you can't, you can't do it by yourself and and you can't even do it when you got two or three uh, really good players. Tampa had, let's not forget Tampa had Le Cavalier, Richards and St. Louis together for a few years. And it just, they found it such that that's when Toronto was spending all that pre lockout money and New Jersey was spending huge money. Detroit was still in the West, of course, with Colorado and Dallas. Philadelphia was really good back then, knocking the Leafs out a couple times it was hard to get through and eventually um tampa was able to to swing it but they had those three forwards plus boyle plus abby bullen for at least a couple of those seasons knocking at the door and, and look at vancouver even even leading up to 2011 you know boom you bump into the blackhawks you bump into them again they couldn't get past them that's why that uh, that alex burroughs overtime goal was so jim houston called it so dramatically much to the chagrin of leaf fans like jeff because apparently Houston cares, um, but but it was exciting. It was it was a moment. It was a moment and a half to to sort of slay the dragon a little bit. I was in Detroit when they when they got past the Avalanche, and until it until it actually happens, you don't think it's going to. It's one. Of, it's like when I was a kid and the Canadians had won four straight cups, and then Minnesota, uh, Minnesota, really pedestrian Minnesota North Stars team knocked them out in the second round. And you can't believe it because you guys are probably the same. You always just think that the teams that are really good when you're a kid are always going to be really good. And I have that thing with the with the Habs and the Pittsburgh Steelers and the L.A. Lakers. I always I'm shocked when those teams aren't in the mix. But but sports is cyclical that way. I think we're going to see that with Detroit in in due time. But to the uh, to the like Jeff point, uh, I, I I'm also a I'm also a big Canucks guy. I've always been a Canucks guy. So that goal, I think I legitimately ran out of my house uh, in excitement. That was uh, it was great. Yeah, that was a, that was a special special run. It's a shame that it ended the way it did. I'm really excited to hopefully see Connor McDavid bring in the Oilers, kicking and screaming. I know we brought that up just a little bit ago, but I think that it's. Uh, he is so unbelievable that he could be a player that does that. Meanwhile, like the defense is falling apart at times, the, the depth is not there. It's something that could happen. Meanwhile, on the other side of the spectrum, in the uh, Pacific Division, the, there's the Sharks they brought up. And I absolutely love them. I write for them over at Fear the Fin, and a lot of the fans just think the team is boring. That's how like great they are defensively, and people don't realize that you know the boring hockey at times, the, the play that you know the Kings normally have will get you Stanley Cups. <laughs> but they they would much rather see you know Joe Thornton, Joe Pavelski, uh, Mikhail Bodker, you know, going up and down the ice and you know scoring these ridiculous goals rather than these you know okay we'll score three to one and then it's a workman's like performance and people are actually complaining about that as they lead the division. It's it's unbelievable that that's actually taking. Place. Well, it, it yeah, it transpires, and and I think there's that misconception about that where people kind of get confused in Detroit with the Bowman Red Wings and the Babcock Red Wings because uh, by the time Mike Babcock took over, and let's not forget they lost, uh, they got drummed out in the first round uh, by Edmonton when Edmonton made that great 06 run. That was a one versus eight setup. That was uh, Steve Eiserman retiring um, just a, just a week or so later. But a lot there was criticism or apathy in Detroit. I could never figure it out at the time why really after that season and and Iserman gone and Shanahan had left to sign with the Rangers a couple years before and Fedorov had signed with Anaheim a few years before that. So all this and there's no Brett Hall and there's no Igor Larionov. A lot of these guys got too old. A lot of these guys just moved on um, as Fedorov and Shanahan did. So 
the Babcock wings weren't exactly star laden uh, in the least. They were utilizing players like uh, Dallas Drake and and a, and a, and a reincarnated uh, Darren McCarty back from Calgary. They were using those players for for good minutes in in like the 08 playoffs when they um, when they beat Pittsburgh and and even 09 when they made the final. So yeah, you could marvel at at what Datsa could do with the puck. But it was a real. It was a lot more of a lunch pail. Johan Franzen had some really nice moments, but I don't think we'd ever look at Johan Franzen and say, "Well, there's an exceptionally talented hockey player." He just he just did a lot of things really really well. Thomas Holmstrom having goals bounce in off his ass and and his shoulder and his <laughs> his ankle. I mean, and his and his forehead. Um, that's how they scored a lot of those goals. And let's take Nick Lidstrom as well. There's nothing about Nick Lidstrom that is that is dynamic. There's nothing that blows your mind. He just does everything so 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 well, but he ain't a great skater and he he's not a fantastic skater and he doesn't have an amazing slap shot and he I've seen him get dominated. There'd be times you get on the radio in Detroit after a playoff series and you go, "Well, Peter Forsberg just had Nick Lidstrom for lunch." Like you can imagine, there's there's some a guy some people think is the best best player ever and there would be nights in the postseason against against another team in, in the avalanche that had four or five future hall of famers where nick lidstrom would be one of the worst worst liabilities on the ice and you'd say that and people would call up and go hey how can you say because hockey just changes night after night you can have a really bad evening and still be a great player ask Sidney crosby ask alex ovechkin um and yeah ask nick lidstrom so i think detroit had that kind of team a, a little bit sam to some extent after where there was there was a complacency. Now the economy just got ravaged before it got it hit everywhere else uh, in 07, um, and and even Joe Louis Arena tickets stopped becoming affordable. But they're in a real. I go back to now. They're in a real crisis mode because I don't. Tickets are going to go up, and suites are going to be more expensive at, at this new building next year. This is the last year at Joe Louis Arena, and they are leveraged to the hilt um, in in terms of uh, their team and their salary cap. So they're they cannot they cannot get. Of um, top free agent to to make a huge commitment to go there. It was to me, it was a bit of a surprise to get Franz Nielsen at where they got him and when they got him. And it's still probably a little rich for my blood, but that's where they're at. There, there's not going to be any any superstar rolling in. Like I mentioned last night on Twitter, they need maybe almost as much as Vancouver. They need a high pick. They need that. They need a first or second pick. They need an 18-year-old. They not that they lucked out with Dylan Larkin. You got to give them credit for going and getting him. But they need a superstar, and they need somebody that is what Iserman was in 1983 when they were the the dead things. A few years after they moved into Julius Arena, they need somebody fans will come and see. And they don't, I don't know that they have that right now in Detroit. Get sick for Patrick. That's what they're going to have to do. <laughs> they need him. They need him almost as much as the Canucks uh, as the Canucks do to some extent. Yeah, no doubt. Now, Greg, before we let you go, let us know where we can find you on Twitter, where we can find your writing, uh, anything upcoming, or maybe even you know a TV show you've been watching recently. Oh my heavens! Um, well, I, G Brady Radio is me uh, on Twitter, and that's where I'll be for uh, the next few months at least. There is a uh, not a plan that's in place, but I'm sure folks will hear me uh, on on the radio next year. I'm in the middle of a uh, not any kind of uh, dispute, but I'm in the middle of uh, of uh, of a non compete clause, so it's harder to it's harder to do stuff without traveling. Um, but that's okay. That's that's part of the business, and and I understand it. So I've been I've had a really nice time off. It's been great. Um, that uh, people like Jeff, people like Thomas Durant have been interested in having me write, and it's been great to be able to say yes to uh, a lot more stuff than I had time for um, before. I do some BBC stuff, but it's mostly geo-blocked with, uh, with NFL and some Premier League and some other, uh, some other shows, but unless you're on the other side of the Atlantic, it's tough to listen to. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I really appreciate you guys having me on, and it's fun to, to, to have a, an outlet to to talk hockey and uh, happy to after everything I've said doesn't happen over the next several weeks I'm happy to come on and explain why I was wrong about it that's that's something I've gotten very good at doing over the last several years with the NHL no without a doubt we'll definitely have to have you on again and you know call you out for those uh, wrong predictions (laughs) once the Red Wings once the Red Wings clinch that playoff spot and uh, yeah and the Sharks fall out of the Western Conference playoffs um, I will say team I'd love to really quick you guys tell me I'm impressed by Boston. I thought Boston might end up in the same scenario as Detroit, and Boston started to recognize a little bit to me 
um, that things are going south a little bit, and they've made some some transactions that maybe set them up better for the future. And but then they go sign David Backus. So I was, and then I'm thinking, oh God, same old Bruins. You, they never quite learn. But Tukaras seems to have have refound himself. Um, their blue line has been much much better than than people thought. I think Tory Krug's a lot better of a two way player than I thought he was when I first saw him in the league and thought, well, all that guy's all that little guy's going to be able to do is score. Um, I've been really impressed with the job Claude Julian's done. Put it that way. Both. Yeah, uh, the, sorry, but Jeff, you can go. I, I was just going to say, yeah, they've been uh, they've definitely been one of the brighter spots that none of us quite expected. But that team still has a really strong cycle game. They're able to get pucks to the net. Uh, it's working out for them really well so far. I don't know how long it lasts, but uh, definitely been one of the more fun ones to watch in the Atlantic for sure. The Bruins and the Rangers, to me, were the two teams that I had coming into this year that I thought were going to miss the playoffs. They just were aging up front. There's always seems to be a cliff, even though even if you have a great player, there always seems to be a cliff that you can fall off of. And I think the Red Wings are doing that right now. And I think the what the uh, Rangers and Bruins have done is embrace the four line approach. They've you know allowed their younger players to fill in those spots, and it's been unbelievable for them thus far. They've been getting scoring from places they they weren't weren't necessarily expecting. And in Boston, you know, they decided to put uh, Brandon Carlo as Dano Chara, which is you know Brandon Carlo is a fine player. There's nothing wrong with him. You know, playing the WHL the year before, you weren't expecting him to be able to fill in on a first pairing with one of, you know, but they're both just two towering guys. And I think that playing with uh, Zidane Char is a pretty good blanket. I, I wonder how long it'll last, but watching them play, they've been dominant when they're out on the ice. And I, yeah. And that's what makes the Atlantic Division scary because I thought that it was honestly going to be having a down year. And it seems like a whole lot of those teams uh, out there are actually doing pretty darn well. I think there's sneaky guys with sneaky careers sometimes, and David Krejci's that that player for me, where he sits there at 30 years old. He's never somebody you go. He's never gonna you know go near the tops of a of a fantasy hockey draft, and he's you know he's gonna he obviously doesn't play for one of the big nation. You know, it's it's still the Czech Republic, but he's never gonna you know attract a ton of attention in an international tournament unless the Czechs put it all together and and did something big. But he's just so steady and he's just so and he's missed time with injury and you're like he should be playing a lot older than he is. But it's sort of it's not the same kind of career as Marion Hosa's head where you go, boy, that Hosa, pretty good player. And until the point where you're like, oh, my gosh, he's a Marion Hosa's now, despite the fact he hopped around a lot for a few years there. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He was probably the best player on the Penguins when they made that Angelo Esposito trade. There'd be nights in the 08 playoffs where. He was better than Crosby and Malkin. He, he was he was the guy you'd look to and say he'll get it done. It's not the same type of scenario because Krejci's way more of of that two way player, but he's had a much better career than than I thought. I I thought that guy was almost like a borderline pro the first couple years um, in in uh, in Boston, and and he's put together a real steady run and and doing the same again this year. For sure, for sure. Well, Greg, we appreciate you coming on and talking hockey with us. I. I was, you know, we were expecting to have like a twenty thirty minute conversation, and I looked up just now, and I go, "Whoa, it's it's almost been it's been just over forty five minutes," and I that's you know it's been an absolutely great conversation, and I really really appreciate you coming on and you know giving us that time to just uh, chat about hockey. See, that's great you say that because in other aspects of my life, people say I thought we were going to talk for forty five minutes, and I wish it had only been fifteen or twenty. So I appreciate <laughs> you saying that. It's great, appreciate it. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, guys. Thanks a bunch.